0: You are listening to Regulatory Fishing, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight and hosted by Government Contracts and Cybersecurity Attorney, Eric Kruchus. This series will analyze the latest cybersecurity news for the government contracting industry. From reviewing the Department of Defense and how national security shapes cybersecurity requirements to insights from industry leaders on the ever-changing landscape of cybersecurity this podcast will help government contracting professionals hack into the latest cybersecurity developments around the
1: world. Welcome back to the latest episode of Regulatory Phishing. This week, it's my pleasure to welcome Stuart Itkin to the program. He's the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer for NeoSystems. He is focused on bringing managed services, software, and consulting to address the compliance, cybersecurity, and back office needs of small and medium businesses. Prior to his time at NeoSystems, he was a vice president of CMMC and FedRAMP Assurance at Coal Fire Federal and helped them lead them through their DIPCAC assessment to become one of the first authorized C3PAOs. Before that, he was vice president of product management and marketing at ExoStar, a Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies, BAE Systems, Rolls-Royce formed joint venture company, where he had responsibility over the company's compliance management, supply chain risk management, and secure collaboration platforms and for establishing its CMMC practice area. He served in uh, leadership roles with cybersecurity companies, pivot point risk analytics, safe and threat track security as a lead mentor at the Virginia state government funded Mach 37 cybersecurity product accelerator and as an advisor and board member to several early and growth stage cybersecurity companies. He earned his BA, MA, and ABD from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. You spent a lot of time at that university with those degrees. I did. (laughs) (laughs) And personally, I've known Stuart for a number of years now. It's always a pleasure interacting with him in the CMMC ecosystem, for lack of a better term. He's one of the folks in the ecosystem who really knows what they're doing and knows what they're talking about. So always appreciate his opinion on things, and that's why he's here today. Thanks, Stuart.
0: Well, great. Eric, thank you, and thank you for the time today.
1: Of course. So the first thing I want to start off with is that Neosystems is a managed service provider. Of course, Neosystems is not the only one who does that, but they're one of the prominent ones out there. What is a managed service provider?
0: A managed service provider is a third-party company that remotely manages a a client or a customer's information technology infrastructure and their end-user systems. And again, these are primarily smaller and mid-sized organizations that look to a managed service provider to be able to support them and provide services that they may lack the expertise internally
1: to be able to provide for themselves. The managed services is something that a lot of small, like I said, medium-sized businesses can really utilize in different kind of compliance area with respect to data retention and just running their IT systems in general. We had CMMC come out or you know, version 1.0 come out a number of years ago. We had 2.0 come out in the late 2021. As people are listening to this, we've either about to see or have just seen the proposed rule from DoD. For CMMC, what kind of role do you see MSPs play, kind of with CMMC?
0: I think they play a very important role, and they play a very important role for the small and medium enterprises that make up the defense industrial base. Again, if we looked at the DoD statistics, you know they've said for level two of CMMC, that's those that handle CUI. About 80,000 companies, about 73% of them are small and medium businesses, meaning that the majority of these businesses don't have either the technical depth or the compliance depth or understanding that they need to really understand the requirements, to satisfy the requirements, and to be able to maintain their environment in a way that stays compliant, so to speak. The role of the managed service provider can start with bringing in or creating an infrastructure that is secure and satisfies the technical requirements. It can involve bringing in best practice policies and procedures that satisfy the non-technical requirements for CMMC, and it can provide the ongoing management of that IT infrastructure for an organization to ensure that the policies that they've created are being followed, that the processes that they've elaborated to support those policies are being strictly followed into the letter of the law and really providing the depth that is needed. I've seen some small organizations that have an IT guy. Well, you know, it's important that you have coverage, you know, in some cases, 24 by seven. Don't know when an incident may occur. You don't know when something may come up or it truly needs IT to be able to, to respond to something, whether it's simply help for a user or whether it's a potential incident that needs immediate investigation and, response. and if, if the IT guy is sick, if the IT guy goes on vacation, how's that organization able to function? And what the MSP provides is, is again, it's, it's a shared service. So there is a large pool of people with varying degrees of capabilities that are on call and shared by a number of clients that MSP has benefit to the small organization is that there is always somebody available to help. And more important, there is always the appropriate person who is available to help. If it's a security person to help with a potential incident, if it's merely a help desk technician to help with a password reset, MSP is ensuring that an organization has the coverage and to
1: support to ensure business continuity and resilience. So a couple of things I just want to break down because I think there are some really important points in there. First, 80,000 companies, and I've heard the same stat that you did, will be seeking a level two certification because they handle some kind of CUI. My theory of the case is that in order for CMMC to work and in order for the third party certifiers to come in and and look at each contractor, we need to have MSPs as part of the ecosystem or else there's not going to be time for these folks to review 80,000 bespoke systems, whereas if you have, the largest may have their own, or even maybe some of them use MSPs, but those small, medium-sized businesses uniformly use a dozen or two different MSPs to provide their back office support, so to speak. But the whole idea of what you were talking about, I feel like that would make CMMC assessment easier.
0: Absolutely. I think that's an important point. That if you look at cloud services, for example, if somebody is using a, a cloud service for file collaboration, for secure sharing of information, that cloud service will have gone through a certification to demonstrate that it satisfies the requirements of the FedRAMP moderate baseline. And as a consequence, that you as the organization using that kind of inherit the security that is built into that. You don't need to worry about, is there a lock on the door of the data center? You don't need to worry about whether backups are being done. You inherit all of those things from the cloud service provider as a consequence of their achieving FedRAMP moderate equivalency. Similarly, with a managed service provider, there is a set of responsibilities that the managed service provider is taking on in which you directly inherit as an organization engaging or hiring a managed service provider. What it means is that it makes the burden that you have to satisfy those compliance requirements smaller. But to the extent that a managed service provider, like a cloud service provider, has a standard shared responsibility matrix, it makes it easier for the assessor to simply say, this managed service provider has been vetted. We understand what the services are they provide and already know what is inherited by the individual company without needing to go through and assess every single one of those controls.
1: Right. I think that's a great point. There will be some controls that still have to be assessed because there's some that are physical based, company based, locality based, but there's a lot of them that would be based off of the managed service providers already received certification, whether it be FedRAMP or um, a CMMC certification. We had a discussion on the podcast it was really a monologue for me <laughs> on August 25th, talking about the leaked documents, CMMC documents, as they call them, 2.1, and they talked about those cloud service or managed service providers, what kind of certification they need to have, and they seem to indicate, at least in their draft forms, that a FedRAMP Moderate would be enough. So if you have a cloud service provider or managed service provider that has FedRAMP Moderate, then they'll be they'll be permitted to, I guess, absorb those controls that are in the assessment.
0: You really hit on an important point. The leaked documents, I mean, they were up there for like 24 hours. Uh, I happened to scrape a copy of them. Talk about for a cloud service, the minimum requirement being satisfying the FedRAMP moderate baseline. For a managed service provider, the requirement was that they simply satisfy the CMMC level two requirements or, or meet all of the requirements of 800-171 plus the additional DFARS requirements that exist. And we kind of look at that and say, well, that's, that's a good start. But in some respects, it's really not sufficient. We look at that 800-171 and the CMMC requirements are about ensuring confidentiality of information, but there's so much more that a MSP is responsible for. It's for data integrity, it's for availability, of that information, and you really feel that, that the standards that an MSP should be held to really need to reflect their ability to ensure data integrity, to ensure data avail- availability. And to that end, Neosystems, along with a number of other managed service providers who focus on the defense industrial base and satisfying CMMC requirements, have formed a five hundred one c six called MSPs for the protection of critical infrastructure. And one of the tenets of our platform is specifically to see that an appropriate set of requirements is developed for managed service providers that recognize the important role that they play within the ecosystem. And think about it, that an individual dib company, small manufacturer, you know, certainly the information that they have is valuable, but it's one piece of a puzzle. But if you look at a managed service provider, and if a managed service provider is able to be breached by an adversary, the responsibility that that managed service provider has is over a number of different companies. And so whether it's the security of their information or the ability to continue to do business and so forth, MSPs just are, in some respects, represent a, a higher value target to our adversaries hold a higher level of risk, in a sense, really do need to be held to a higher level of standard with respect to the assurance that they can satisfy these requirements. So again, there are a lot of MSPs that are out there, a lot that are really very good, but it's important that an organization in evaluating an MSP truly understand whether that MSP understands the requirements under 800-171 satisfy those on behalf of their client, those that are shared? But more important, I mean, have they achieved a level of cyber maturity themselves that is going to provide assurance for that company?
1: All great points. It's not often you hear somebody in an industry set that says, please regulate us more.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, that We're in this, I mean, obviously, you know, for all of us, this is a business, but we're in this business because of a belief in the mission of CMMC and the security of critical infrastructure in the defense industrial base. And we feel it's important for that mission to be satisfied for it to succeed, that those that are providing services certainly are capable of delivering services that meet the objective.
1: Right. And I think that's smart because you want if managed service providers are not held to a higher standard and there's a significant breach, um, it could really put the whole industry in a bad light and maybe deservedly so because there was lacks or not sufficient security guards in place and not just one company's information was leaked, but or breached, but dozens and dozens.
0: Or even it may not be a breach. It's simply a ransomware attack that may affect that MSP's ability to support its customers. And now those customers are no longer able to function. So again, it, it is a very important role that the MSPs play, but again, they have a higher level of responsibility at the same time and need to be prepared to handle that responsibility.
1: Right. And for folks listening, the website for that is mspcollective.org for more info on that. So you've made a lot of interesting points. And one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on was we know about level one, two, and three in the cybersecurity maturity model certification program. And I think level one is kind of being ignored right now because there's a lot of ink being spilled on the level two third-party certification that's going to be required once level two gets up and running. But you know, level one is a self-certification. In CMMC 1.0, it was a third-party certification. And I think when CMMC 2.0 came out, A lot of folks viewed it as a step back and CMMC is not being taken seriously anymore because level one was no longer a third-party certification. I disagree with that. I think self-certifications in some respects riskier because you're putting your neck on the line to the government when you're self-certifying, whereas if you have a third party coming in and kind of blessing what you're doing, really the, the assessor, if information given to the assessor is accurate, it's really the assessor that's blessing instead of the company.
0: Yeah, and and absolutely, and I think you know with respect to the level one self assessments, one of the changes that we anticipate in the new CMMC rule is that the self assessment is going to need to be signed and attested to by a corporate officer, you know, making that corporate officer individually liable at the same time. And if you kind of dial the clock back, and if you remember when Sarbanes Oxley came into effect, and all of a sudden CEOs and CFOs needed to sign their financial statements, it created a whole industry for Ernst & Young and other accounting firms. And in the same way, it's it's not just the the liability. And while there are reduced number of controls under level one, that doesn't mean that they're easy. And ensuring that, again, you have the proper support and help to see that those requirements are satisfied is, is really important. Access control seems like it's simple. Access control, and if you understand the requirements, There are some very specific responsibilities that need to be satisfied, and an organization that doesn't have somebody with either compliance expertise or technical expertise may not understand those and say, yeah, I think we're good enough, we've satisfied that, when in fact they haven't, putting themselves at risk same thing with multi-factor authentication seems pretty simple again more organizations fail to satisfy multi-factor authentication completely than almost any other control so having that support of a managed service provider you have know, to come in with the expertise and to come in with technical solutions that are known to satisfy those requirements again you know, do two things i mean they assure the organization that it has satisfied the requirements and, and has really made itself secure that it's protecting its own information, not just the DODs. And on the other side, it's certainly providing a cushion for whoever's signing their name on the bottom line, saying, you know, yes, I attest that we have satisfied these requirements. Having somebody else who is an expert who can attest and say, yes, you know, we've supported this activity and believe that they in fact are in compliance, you know, certainly provides a lot of value.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I told people For a long time now that just because you don't have controlled and classified information doesn't mean you can't get a third party to come in and do an assessment to those level one standards just for your own edification and to give comfort in certifying when that annual certification comes around that you were talking about, Stuart. And there's nothing that says that those folks can't use a managed service provider also. I'm sure some of your clients are folks that would be in the level one arena instead of level two or level three.
0: Yeah. And again, it's not just about protecting the information that the government entrusts you with, whether it's FCI or, or CUI. It's also you know, the intellectual property that the organization has developed and created itself that has current value, that has future value. I mean, really what you're protecting is you know, your business and securing your ability
1: to, you know, to continue as a business. Right. I've said that level one, my typical line in a presentation when I talk about level one is that it's not a weekend project. It's very specific as far as you need to not just master the control, but also document that you've mastered it, whether it be through training policies or something like that. It's not just check the box scenario where you say, oh yeah, we're fine. We have multi-factor authentication without kind of having something to back it up.
0: Exactly. You need
1: to have satisfied
0: it. You need to be able to demonstrate how you've satisfied it, demonstrate that you're following what it is you said. And finally, you have to demonstrate that it's having the intended result that it's actually working. And if you can't do all of those things, you haven't
1: satisfied the requirement. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now that we've scared folks who don't have CUI enough (laughs) in this podcast, let's just talk about kind of timelines as far as how long it takes for folks to get up to speed. I've talked to a lot of companies out there in presentations or who are just curious. And I think one of the maybe things that are misnomers or one of the things they they don't understand is, All right, we're starting from zero or starting from the the 20 yard line. How long does it take to get all the way to the end zone until we could be confident that we are meeting the goals of level one or the controls of level two. And we don't know for sure what the controls of level three are. So we could put that aside for now. But what's that timeline that you've seen, at least in your career?
0: I think the, you know, the simple answer is it depends on, on the complexity of the environment, the number of users, the number of locations. You know, there's a number of things that will factor into it. You know, there's an average that's talked about an organization that is starting kind of at the beginning line, at the start line, should anticipate that it could take as long as 16 to 18 months. To be at the point where not only have you satisfied all of those requirements but that you've developed the documentation that you've institutionalized them such that you're ready to go through the assessment that that you need to complete and there's a difference between satisfying the requirements and being ready to go through a certification assessment demonstrating that in fact you have satisfied those requirements for level one certainly Less than that, it's, it's, it's a smaller hurdle to overcome. But at the same time, you know, the, the time is generally measured in months, not in weeks, in days to be able to put in place the technical controls, put in place the procedures that are required, and to truly kind of operationalize those procedures and make them part of the company culture.
1: Absolutely. I think those are all great points. And I think those timelines are consistent with what I've heard. So if we have a final CMMC rule at the end of 2024 which seems kind of to be the most likely timeline that means that if folks haven't started now it's almost too late
0: my recommendation is go find a time machine go back about 6 months and get started but you know really if you've not started to this point you really are late and and need to get going and i think the good news there there are different approaches to being able to do this Some organizations will start, they'll go through and do a gap assessment, they'll look at their current state, they'll evaluate the current state against the requirements, they'll remediate those gaps that exist, but that can take time and and, and can sometimes be risky. There's others that uh, take the approach of starting with, or an MSP that may come in with a technical configuration or an infrastructure that is known to satisfy the technical requirements come in with policies and procedures that are known to satisfy the non-technical requirements. And rather than making the existing environment the client has compliant, it's teaching the client how to move into a known compliant environment and to use a known compliant set of policies and procedures. That's not going to work for every organization, but when it does, it certainly attenuates the timeline.
1: Absolutely. And I just think your time machine quip is very well taken <laughs> because I, <laughs> that happens oftentimes, but I think it brings home the point that we just need to make sure everyone is, is aware that this is coming. And DOD hasn't given any hints that they're laying back at this point. they they're going through this very rigorous and time consuming rulemaking process. And they've made public statements saying that they are dedicated to CMMC. What's interesting is that other agencies have taken a different approach uh, from CMMC. But I, I think I could kind of start seeing how this is all going to tie together and talking with a bunch of folks in the ecosystem itself. I could see we have Homeland Security now released something on the system for acquisition management, which says essentially that they are going to review folks who are submitting offers as to their cybersecurity readiness and a cybersecurity readiness factor when they're doing a best value analysis and when a contract is going to include CUI. And they're going to grade folks as having a high likelihood of readiness, a likelihood of readiness, or a low likelihood of readiness. And that will factor into the award. And I could see theoretically that DHS will be giving out, you know, they they are gonna give out questionnaires and I could see theoretically that um, those questionnaires may include a question do you have a CMMC certification? And if the answer is yes, you automatically get the high likelihood of of cybersecurity readiness award, so to speak.
0: Exactly, because you've satisfied and demonstrated to an objective third party that you've satisfied that whole set of requirements under 800-171.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if we saw other agencies doing the same thing. And that I think will make a CMMC certification more valuable.
0: And again, remember the initiative that started way back in the Obama administration was to harmonize across government how CUI was labeled, how CUI was handled, how assessments were conducted. It's been a long time in coming, and I think we're taking baby steps. But ultimately, for the good of the government, for the good of those that serve different government agencies, there really is a need to be able to harmonize those procedures.
1: I don't know about you, but my feeling is that if you have procedures that are not harmonized, that leads to worse cybersecurity posture, because folks are trying to answer to different sets of controls, and that that just doesn't lead to anywhere good.
0: It doesn't lead to anywhere good, and it creates a lot of redundant expense. You've got people in one agency or department of the government developing requirements, and people in another agency developing requirements. Why do we need to pay as taxpayers for two sets of requirements when one set of requirements is addressing the essentially satisfying the same framework? And for a supplier, if I'm supplying to those two different agencies, I'm going to need to go through two different processes that is going to cost me money, meaning my prices to the government are going to be higher. You know, So it, it, it really seems like a lose-lose in both dimensions. And Harmonizing these standards across government is going to make it easier for everyone, certainly better and more secure for the government, better and more secure to those that support the government and and sell products or services to the government.
1: Right. That's a great point. As we wrap up here, one question I have for you is, let's assume that the proposed rule for CMMC comes out November, December, somewhere in that timeframe. When do you see the final rule rolling out? I know this is just a guess, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And any other predictions for 2024? I
0: think there's a debate of whether it'll be an interim rule or whether it'll be an in-process rule. And I think most people believe that it'll be in process so that once it is published, there'll be a 60-day public comment period. And then those comments will be adjudicated kind of the average time The government has taken in adjudicating public comments been a little bit less than a year, so you know sixty days from when it comes out. Add a year to that is when it will become effective. But two things to consider. I mean, one is the point we already talked about is the time that it's going to take an organization to be ready to satisfy and to demonstrate that they've satisfied those requirements. So you really can't wait. You need to start on that path to make sure that you're ready at that point. And the second, you know, is that there's another group of companies that have a real bearing on this timeline, which are the large primes. And so for companies, hypothetically, like Lockheed Martin, like RTX, they could potentially come to their supplier base and say, well, we know the government has set this timeline. However, we're expecting you as our suppliers to be able to satisfy these requirements earlier. There's precedent for this. This is what happened when The initial rule for CMMC 1.0 came out, and a series of large primes did inform their suppliers. They expected them to satisfy these requirements earlier than the government required. So, you know, the government may not be the one driving the timeline at the end of the day.
1: Yes, I see that a lot with clients where they're getting pushed more by their large prime contractors than the government itself. And I think that's a theme that we'll probably continue to see because we see these breaches and... A lot of these breaches are happening at the subcontractor level, not the prime contractor level.
0: Exactly. And I'll just kind of mention a book that I've recently read because uh, it was very sobering to me, being aware of what goes on within the defense industrial base. But there's a book called "Battlefield Cyber" by McLaughlin and Holstein. And if people want to get an understanding of just the extent to which we really are at an ongoing cyber war with Russia and China, and the extent to which our defense industrial base and our internal government systems have been affected. Again, the book provides a very sobering picture of, of where we are today and really highlights why the effort that we're all going through to see that CMMC is a success, that those efforts are so important.
1: That's a great point. And I think it's a great way to end, Stuart. Really appreciate your time today and your insight and a little window in, in how managed service providers work and how they fit into the ecosystem. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Eric, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you for listening to Regulatory Phishing. For more information on the topics covered in today's episode, please email eric.crucius at hklaw.com
1: or visit hklaw.com forward slash cybersecurity.